Welcome to episode 13 of Nuggets for Vet Nurses, where we scratch that itch for bite-sized bits of clinically relevant knowledge. I'm Marcus Taylor. And I'm Esther Fan from Melbourne, Australia, and somewhere on the other side of the globe, we are your show hosts. To find out where, listen to our last episode. Mm-hmm. And you might even learn a thing or two about slides and lab matter. But today, our topic is... There's a bad drum roll, I'm sorry. <laughs> it is kind of. Um... That's, that's what you get, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's right, from the other side of the world. Today's topic is the itchy dog. Ta-da! <laughs> you all know the dogs we're talking about. The Staffy, who's always scratching at its belly, chewing its paws, and has an ear infection every second month. Or the bulldog with creamy, cheesy discharge between its toes and reddened armpits and groin areas. What are the anatomical terms for those bits again? Digits are the toes, so the interdigital space means between the toes. Axilla, or plural axillae, means the armpits and the inguinal area is the groin. Interesting. I usually say inguinal, but inguinal sounds very exotic. (laughs) Well, what can I say? I'm an exotic guy. (laughs) Exotic guy for exotic places (laughs) of of the dog. (laughs) These are the classic presentations of skin allergies or allergic dermatitis. Remember, itis means inflammation, not necessarily infection. Now, this itch usually shows itself when the dog is between one and three years of age. This is because the immune system has had time enough to be exposed and then mount an inappropriate response to the allergens. This is important to note because it's a common question that comes up. My dog has been in the same house, eating the same food, going to the same parks for two years, and now he's three, and you tell me he's allergic? I sure am. It's like people who become lactose intolerant as adults. They can be drinking milk their whole entire lives, and then in their 20s, suddenly the immune system has developed an abnormal response to lactose. Yeah, same with gluten, as I found out a few years ago. My goodness. Mm. So there are different types of allergies, including contact allergy, allergic dermatitis, food allergy, and atopy. Contact allergy is an allergy to something the animal actually comes into physical contact with, e.g. like a food bowl hypersensitivity, when your cat is sensitive to a plastic food bowl and develops dermatitis around the muzzle, or your dog plays with poison ivy and develops rashes where the plant has touched its belly. Hint, if you suspect food bowl sensitivity, get the owners to use ceramic bowls. These cause the least amount of reaction. It's like how some people can only wear real gold because plastic costume jewellery gives their skin a reaction. Food allergies only cause 10% of all skin allergies. In these cases, your pet is normally allergic to a protein source such as chicken or beef. It is highly unlikely that they are allergic to gluten or grains. Unlike me. If if you're shocked about this, you need to go back and listen to me whinging to Esther in our episode 7 on nutrition. Mm-hmm. And to diagnose or rule out a food allergy, your pet needs to be on a specific diet with a hydrolyzed or novel protein. For example, Royal Canon Hypoallergenic or Anallergenic or Hills ZD. Owners should only buy these diets after a consult with a vet. And if the vet has recommended these foods, it's important to feed only this food for the specified amount of time. Otherwise, there's not a lot of value from changing from one food to the other to try and cure skin problems. 
Yep, that's important to remember. Many owners of allergic dogs think that food is responsible, and then they buy a different brand or flavor, or change from wet to raw, or you know, insert random diet here. This usually doesn't do much, or if it does, it's possibly because they've changed to a higher quality food, so the dog is doing better in general. Ninety percent of allergic dermatitis cases aren't allergic to food, so. Changing the diet to diagnose or treat the itch isn't the first thing that we do. So, what are the vast majority of skin allergies caused by Esther? Well, on paper, the vast majority of skin allergies are meant to be caused by fleas. Flea allergy or flea allergic dermatitis (FAD) dogs often present with lesions such as excoriations and rashes and alopecia on their caudal dorsum. So that's on the back part of their back. And the tail base, rather than the armpits and the belly and the pores. What we commonly see in practice is that most skin allergy cases are from atopy, that is, reactions to environmental allergens that float in the air, like pollens, grasses, dust mites, and more. With this type of allergy, your pet may only itch at certain times of the year, so maybe spring or summer, or in certain locations, like when they come back from the park or when you've moved to a new house. Some poor pets may itch all year round because they are allergic to, say, pollens in the summer and then, say, dust mites in the winter. So seasonality isn't always a defining feature. And because we can't control these environmental allergens, atopy is difficult to cure. I always make sure that the client understands this. I can't cure the allergy, but we can manage it by doing a range of things, and most of these things are done at home. By manage, we mean reduce the severity of the flare-ups and the frequency of the flare-ups. But we accept that the flare-ups are going to happen. What does atopy management involve? The first thing to do is to keep up with regular flea treatment. But what if I've never seen a flea on my dog? You should still keep up with regular flea treatment, because fleas are small and fast, and they like to hide, so you won't always see them. All you need is one flea to jump on your dog, have a nibble, and jump off again. You'll never find it, but because he's got sensitive skin, it might just set off his itch and then you're back to the vet getting medications, so it's just not worth it. Instead, use quality flea preventatives all year round. Second, shampoo. Use sensitive skin or medicated shampoo regularly. I usually recommend fortnightly in the itchy season and once a month in the off season. You can also use sensitive skin or medicated leave-in conditioner. Don't bathe your dog more often than once a week with shampoo, unless directed by your vet. Bathing often can strip the natural oils from the skin and damage the skin barrier. If your dirty dog needs a bath more frequently than once a week, just rinse him off in water and skip the shampoo, unless the vet says to do otherwise. Also, with medicated shampoos, you'll often need to leave them for 5 or 10 minutes covered in the shampoo so that they can do their job. So be sure to read the bottle for the correct contact time before washing off. I really like to use oatmeal-based shampoos for dogs for reducing the severity of atopy flare-ups. Some other vets recommend aloe vera-based shampoos. And one other thing is that you can also start to try to figure out where the flare-ups occur and try and avoid those areas. For example, if there's like a really grassy park that your dog's been running through and he flares up after that, maybe you could keep him out of that part of the park or just practical things like that Mm -hmm. too. And you can actually also hose him down 
when you get back from the park, so all the allergens that are stuck to his belly or his paws just come off and you don't track them into the house and get rubbed into the skin later. Mm, yep. So the third management tip is adding omega-3 fatty acids to the diet. Fish oils are famous for these good fats. They have anti-inflammatory properties and help strengthen the skin's barrier. You can supplement them with certain types of fish oil capsules or liquid or switch to a diet that is already enhanced with omega-3s. Hang on a sec. You said we don't need to change the diet immediately. Good listening. I said that we shouldn't be rushing into all sorts of elimination diets to be diagnosing and solving a possible food allergy because nine times out of ten, the dog won't be food allergic. The diets I'm referring to right now are simply sensitive skin diets. So they're not designed for food allergies. They've simply got more goodies or supplements incorporated into them to help manage atopy, that is, environmental allergies. Goodies like fish oils or omega-3s. Yes. But what about sardines or cans of tuna? Can't I just chuck a can onto my dog food once a week and be done with it? Feeding the odd can of tuna here and there won't hurt. Remember, check out episode 6 and 7 on nutrition for more on this topic. But it might not help all that much. The dose of fish oils is important, and I don't know how much omega-3s is in each brand and size of sardine canned. So it's best to stick to a proper supplement with dosage instructions or follow what your vet recommends. And just note, response to supplementation can take up to 8 to 12 weeks, so you can't just give them a week's worth of fish oils and then burn the bottle because it didn't work. <laughs> Do you reckon burning a bottle of fish oil would like go up in flames? Like, oh, it depends on the bottle. I know you could like melt a bottle, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but like it's oil. Like, doesn't oil like and combust? <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, it would. Pro- I don't think it would explode, but it would burn. Pretty- Someone can try it and then send us a message don't, on Instagram. Like, guys, don't do it. You have to do it for eight to twelve weeks. So use up the whole bottle. Don't burn it. <laughs> but burn it at the end because I want to see. <laughs> yeah. Well. Um, all right. So after doing all of this. When your dog finally flares up, it's time for a trip to the vet. We will commonly prescribe something to control the itch and something to control the infection. Even though the itch came first, if they itch enough, the skin will break and infection will set in. Infection itself is itchy. So if we don't control the infection, they will always itch. And if we don't control the itch fast enough, infection will result. Yep. So it's like a vicious cycle. And owners that don't understand this two-pronged approach can become frustrated. All they want are pills to stop the itch, but not the antibiotics. Or they refuse to come back for a recheck once the antibiotics have finished to reassess the itch situation. So nurses, you can play an important role in diffusing this anger if you understand and explain this well. And something to mention, if an owner complains that their dog is constantly chewing at its feet... That is a sign that it could have allergies too. Another thing is recurrent ear infections. Mm -hmm. If a dog keeps coming back for ear infections, quite often an allergy is at the root of it. And one other thing is recurrent anal gland problems can be even linked to allergies too. So there's these really common issues in dogs that can be linked to allergies. So it's an incredibly common thing and it's something you're going to see all the time and an important topic. Also, conjunctivitis, which we didn't mention as well, but we did have a whole episode on it. I think it's episode four or five. Someone can fact check that, but, we'll, That's but it, right. it, back, it was exactly. back in the days. You, you can go back exactly. and look. So to summarize, nine out of 10 itchy dogs won't be allergic to food. It'll be something else, probably something in the environment, but it could be fleas as well. 
So we call these flea allergic dermatitis and atopy. Less commonly is contact allergies. Atopy can't be cured, but it can be managed. Management involves first a flea treatment year round to control and rule out the flea allergic dermatitis. Second, shampoos, medicated or sensitive skin shampoos. Third, omega-3 fatty acid supplementation. And fourth, trips to the vet as soon as they flare up. Itch and infection are different, but interlinked. We need to address both. Nice one. And as you can see, allergies can be a complicated topic, and there are many misconceptions out there. We need to help frustrated clients understand the disease and the holistic approach to allergy management. Pills and injections aren't the magic answer. Most of the work is done by the clients at home. Sounds good to me. By the way, how's your work going over there in... Where are you? Melbourne, of course, Esther. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that place over there, Melbourne, from my part. No, of I've the heard world. it's very nice. I have to come visit my, you. My exotic part of the world. <laughs> hey, Melbourne's pretty exotic to the people over uh, here. True, true. So, um, my work is going good. I've had some pretty interesting surgical cases in the last couple of weeks, which makes me happy because I like my surgery. Can you share one with us? Uh, yeah, so so we had Tinkerbell. She was an eight and a half kilo Jack Russell who presented with a huge ventral lump um, on the abdomen, which on biopsy turned out to be a soft tissue sarcoma, which isn't a great cancer to have. So we decided for removal, which left a massive skin deficit for me to close. You know, the lump was like maybe fifteen or twenty centimeters long or big, and it may and it weighed half a kilo. My goodness, I think the bowling ball. So you had to recalculate her drug doses for the new weight after the surgery, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. We like weighed the lump and we like weighed the dog and everything. And because she had a huge wound with heaps of stitches and some tension relieving incisions, I wanted it to be covered. So I got a tube bandage from the pharmacy and I cut holes for her legs and I kind of just like put it over here and sort of dressed her up like a medieval horse <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I was worried that the caudal part of the bandage would actually slip forward so then I cut holes and I made a strap out of vet wrap that went like around her bum to keep it in place and I called it like a chastity belt oh my goodness I'll post pictures on Instagram for you to see, but it's it's pretty cool. <laughs> pretty one of a kind. Yeah, don't forget to follow us on Instagram and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't your friends and colleagues want to know about chastity belts? <laughs> Canine chastity probably. belts? <laughs> probably. Probably not, but probably. <laughs> well, there's only one way to find out. Well, my colleagues were pretty impressed, impressed I have to say, with my innovation and resourcefulness, which I didn't really think of, you know, at the time. But on second thoughts... I actually wonder if it's the Kiwi in me and my farm vet background, which is responsible for this apparent resourcefulness. So so maybe I should explain this number eight wire mentality, the, the Kiwi ingenuity thing, right? That's what you're talking about. So, okay, well, number eight wire mentality or Kiwi ingenuity is kind of this slang term about the fact that Kiwis just, I think often because they're just out on the farm in the middle of nowhere, they just make do with what they've got, improvise and problem solve and, and tend to get things done, just get on with it. You know, just make up a kind of creative way of doing something mm -hmm. if there's not the stuff you actually need, like technically need to get the job done. Or, or want. Yeah. yeah. So do you have some more stories, Esther, for us? I have a feeling you do. <laughs> yeah, like um, there was one time when I went out carving, so this is back in New Zealand, uh, went out to a carving and like the farmer had had his hands in the cow for a while 
and he'd run out of lube to, to pull the calf out. So, so I remember he got like a bunch of soap flakes and just poured them into the uterus to, to act as lube. So by the time I got there and put my arms in, it was all just all foamed up. And needless to say, that was the nicest smelling carving I've ever done. <laughs> That's so funny. We actually had a vet that all he would use is soap flakes. Like he would, he refused to use the lube. I think maybe a farmer must have pulled them out for him too, and he just loved the smell so much he just <laughs> wouldn't go back to the regular lube. Yeah, true. Well, whatever floats your boat. <laughs> the woman makes a calf come out. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and there was this other time I had this cow with a twisted uterus. So it's a really interesting sort of phenomenon, actually. So cows. And other animals, like alpacas, if you listen to our, I think, our second episode, I talk about an alpaca with a twisted uterus. Cows and alpacas can twist their uteri when they're pregnant. And you then you have to untwist the uterus, but you actually do it by casting the cow, so making her lie on the side, and then you put some sort of board or plank over her abdomen. Somebody stands on that board, like they're on a, on a surfboard, and then helpers roll the cow over from one lateral recumbency position to the other and that untwists the uterus. It sounds crazy, it looks crazy, but it actually works. So there's one time I, I diagnosed this and I said to all the farm workers, right, we need to find um, a board that's, you know, a, like, about the width of you, maybe like a, a snowboard, maybe a little bit longer. I need to put it on the abdomen and I need to stand on it. And so they all just start kind of looking around and then one guy goes, oh, what about that board that's attached to like, that was part of the fence, like that board or plank on the fence? I'm like, oh yeah, something like that would just, you know, be perfect. So then he like just proceeds to just like rip this board off the fence. <laughs> And just like, like rip it off and like bring it, drag it over to me and like hammer out like all the nail. And he's like, oh, here you go. <laughs> I was just like, oh, thanks. Wow. <laughs> we did it. Yeah, we untwisted the uterus, you know, got the calf out, everything like that. And then I suppose he put the cow back in the paddock and then he put the board back onto the fence and happy days, we all went home. <laughs> wow. The guy sounds like the Incredible Hulk. Just rips the fence apart. I know. His hands. Like, <laughs> <off> the fence. <laughs> That's right. That's amazing. Um, I have to actually – I. I did have a few twisted uterus. I just didn't even have a plank. So I kind of walked, used my knees as a plank and like walked my knees oh. over the cow's belly as she rolled. And it, and it worked who, a charm. Who's the Incredible Hulk now? <laughs> well, I don't know. Walking on my <laughs> knees over a cow's belly quite compared to ripping a fence about my hands. But, you know, sure. Um, I have a story, but it's to do with a chinchilla. And Can you just tell us what chinchillas are? Because it appears that we don't have them in Australia. Okay. Well, just picture like a squirrel. And make it way softer and darker and give it massive ears and make it really cute. In fact, maybe you better Google a picture of a chinchilla because I don't feel like I described it very well. But basically, <laughs> so they're I'm... the softest creature in the world and they have huge bat ears and they look like little squirrel hamster things. Okay. So I'm Googling and it appears that chinchillas are illegal in Australia. What? And you guys are weird. <laughs> and look, I'm just clicking on something which says, it's a petition which says legalized pet chinchillas in Australia. Oh my goodness. And and this petition had 15 supporters. Wow. That is a real <laughs> massive. So Malcolm Turnbull was on the air. That sounds like a full-blown riot. 15 people wanting chinchillas. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. Sounds like, sounds like they're, not, they're not in high demand after all in Australia. But oh, anyway, I, to they're be honest, not. I'd never seen a chinchilla in my life either. When these, these this lovely young uh, couple from Korea, I believe, brought brought a chinchilla in into the country. <laughs> for, who knows where it had come from? They brought it into the clinic, and its leg was sort of dangling limp from its. Um, it had clearly had a 
fracture in its carpus, I guess. And um, so my suggestion, you know, you can call this Kiwi ingenuity or I don't know. I just said like, okay, well, we should take the leg off because <laughs> it'll be fine with three legs. You know, it, it, it'll get around. It's tiny, light little rat thing little rodent and i'm sure it'll be fine and like getting that leg to heal is going to be a nightmare and it's going to be a lot of pain otherwise and they looked at me like completely aghast like i was flipping hannibal lecter or something they were like you are not Mm -hmm. chopping the leg off our precious chinchilla so i was like okay plan b i was like i guess i can try to make a splint for it so i went out the back and i said to my colleagues like i have no idea what to do with this chinchilla but i managed to find an exotic textbook (laughs) and find the right drug concoction to knock it out knocked it out and then i made a splint using you know the cotton earbuds that you use to like clean your ears so i I got a couple of them instead of using like the full-on you know cat and dog splints i just i i used sort of an assembly of of those and i i cut vet wrap into these like tiny one centimeter wide strips like these tiny little chinchilla sized bandage and got a little bit of cotton wool and i managed to construct this tiny miniature splint for a chinchilla and completely splinted its leg um like a little robert jones Hmm. bandage absolute like microscopic vision of a robert jones bandage for this chinchilla and i set them on their way and they were pretty happy that the chinchilla didn't have to lose its leg so that's my um that's my chinchilla ingenuity story I, i'm could you could have used number eight wire right that's the size of wire i mean you're, you you're right oh, you're yeah. right i should have gone to the farm next door and asked them for a pet of number eight wire <laughs> exactly when i was carving the cow with, with a yeah. ripped plank off the board. This actually reminds me because I was a student at the time, so I was seeing practice, and the vet was doing a rat castration, mm. and to anaesthetize the rat, which I admit I actually haven't done in my career. I don't not that I really want to, and so maybe this is done, but I suspect not. He basically got a rectal glove because that's what you do, and you always have rectal gloves thrown around in New Zealand. He got a rectal glove, and he chopped like a finger off, and he attached that that you know bit to the anesthetic tube yeah. and then he just basically put the rat in the rectal glove and like held off the end of it and let the rat like run around inside this rectal glove as it was filling up with ISO oh, wow. and then like eventually eventually the rat just went to sleep and then you know with its head facing the tube and then he just like rolled back the the the, the glove and just like kind of you know a nurse just held it the glove around the belly so he was breathing in all this ISO it was like a body mask and then the vet took its balls off the other end that's brilliant yeah, I know. That is absolutely brilliant. I've okay, one last one. I have seen maybe you've seen this too, and maybe this happens outside of New Zealand too, but I have seen a wildlife vet taught me to get the the smallest face mask that you use for like, you know, I don't know, chihuahuas or whatever. And then you get a regular examination glove and you pull it over the face mask and then you cut like a crisscross slash in the thing and then you can just shove a bird's head in there to knock a bird out uh, if you need yes, to knock a yes. you know, knock a naughty little budgie out. Anyway. Yeah. Little tricks. Tricks of the trade. I do have some other memories flooding back from overseas, but I might save those till next time just to keep our listeners hanging and itching for more. Alrighty, well we better leave it there. <laughs> see you next time. I'll see you next time. Bye.